following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Awesome. Well, good morning, church. Uh, my name's Josh, if you don't know me, um, and I'll be sharing the word today. And how great was it to hear some of our young people reading God's word this morning? So uh, if you haven't already, um, please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. Um, and as, uh, as Noah and as Michael read um, so well for us, um, we're looking at Acts chapter 6 through to 7 and, and maybe just a wee little start of 8. Uh, why don't I pray as we get into God's word this morning? Father God, we thank you um, for, for your grace that you've given to us. We thank you that we're gathered here, as we've heard, um, to, to worship you, to adore you, to, to be encouraged um, with one another, to spur one another on to continue to live for you. We thank you for, for Jesus. We thank you that he is the reason why we're here this morning that we can, the reason why we can have relationship with you. Father, as, as, we, uh, as we come around your word this morning, and as I, I speak your word this morning, would you speak through me? Would you speak through your word? Would you speak by your Holy Spirit into the hearts of everyone here, everyone online, everyone listening, that you may bring forth whatever word you want us to hear, that you may change our hearts and lives, and that your gospel may go forth for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've been to the cinema lately. Uh, if you watched a movie lately, I guess school holidays had just happened. Uh, we've got a, a picture of a cinema up there. Uh, but have you noticed that movies these days are getting longer and longer? What used to be like an 80-minute film is now going to 90 minutes, maybe two hours, and maybe in the case of some big heavily awaited releases, three hours or even four. Movies these days are getting longer and, and they're putting your, your parking tickets in peril. <laughs> and if you, you go to one of those Westfields that don't have those four hour, four hour number plate code things, then you might be paying for parking just to see a movie. Well, if, if you've gone to see a movie that's been rather long, uh, you can, like I have once, made one grave mistake one key mistake before you step into the cinema. And that mistake is not going to the bathroom <laughs> for like a three-hour film. That, that can put you in real strife. And so you, you waltz into the cinema, you, you, you come with a, a bag of popcorn under one arm and a bottle of water, and, and, and you go and you sit down and you, you don't think anything of it. The ads start rolling and you start munching on that popcorn, and, and before you know it, you're through the whole bag. And because the popcorn's salty as well, you're through the whole bottle as well. And, and the movie, and you're really engaged with the movie, it's really exciting, you can't wait to see what happens next. Uh, but all of a sudden, you feel an urge. And, and, it, and it's, it's really hard, right? Because you pay good money, you want to see this movie, you're really engaged and excited in this movie, but you, you're, you're torn. 
and you're like, okay, I'm going to press through this. And then, you know, a couple of minutes later, you look at your watch or your phone or whatever it is you have, uh, and, and you, you do the math and you think, oh, there's still like an hour and a half left. I'm in real trouble. So, but what do you do? You so desperately want to see the movie, so you, you press on. You keep your eyes fixed on the movie. And, uh, and, and then a few minutes later, you know, then the cramps start happening. You start, feeling, you start feeling cramps in your stomach. Maybe the stomach's growling because you're out of popcorn as well. And then the cramps, they, they, they transfer from your stomach to your face. You start doing these ones, like... Oh, and you start shifting in your seat. But, but, you're so desperate to see the movie that you, you get through it because you're fully controlled by your desire to see this movie. You're fully controlled by finding out by the, your desire to, to want to find out what happens next. And finally, and hopefully, um, you get through it without rivers of living water bursting forth. <laughs> and you waddle out of that cinema um, feeling content and you feel like you've got your money's worth. Well, friends, as we, we come around Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7 this morning, we meet someone who wasn't just controlled by a movie. It wasn't controlled um, by anything of the world. In fact, we meet this Stephen who is so controlled by God, so controlled by godliness. And, and in this passage, we, we see time and time again, this word fool is used to describe his life. His life wasn't empty. His life wasn't chock full of, of other stuff, but it's full of godly stuff. And, and when, we come, when we read this passage and we read this word full, that's what it means. It, doesn't, uh, it, it means to be controlled by whatever it is you're full of. Now, when we meet Stephen, we're introduced to him in the start of Acts chapter 6. And, it, and as, as we heard this morning, that uh, there was some dispute in the church. The, the disciples, they were growing the church and... And as part of the church, they, they, were, they had a distribution of food given to, uh, to widows to help them survive. But then there was some conflict within the church because it was felt that some parts of the church or some widows of certain nationalities were receiving more than others. And it's into this context that we meet Stephen. Full of, verse 3 says, the spirit and of wisdom. Um, and he, along with six others, will were appointed to, to settle this um, dilemma. Now, I, this morning, as we, as we look at Stephen's life, he only appears in really six and seven, and that's pretty much it. You don't hear from him for the rest of the Bible. As we, we come and we look at his life, I want us to, to think about three different ways that he was full, three different things that he was full of that made him such a, a powerful force for driving the gospel. Three different ways that made, him, uh, that made him speak in ways that we hear today, that gave him a legacy that lasts even until today. So the three things that Stephen was, or the three things that I want to highlight that Stephen was full of, um, that we can take on board for us today. One is that he was full of the spirit, he was full of the gospel, and he was full of certainty. Full of the spirit, full of the gospel, and full of certainty. So let's start. Number one, he was full of the Spirit. Uh, it says it of everyone in that list. It says that he was full, that they were, it had to be full of the Spirit. But especially for Stephen, we hear time and time again, he's full of the Spirit. 
what does that mean? What does it mean to be full of or controlled by the Spirit? Well, we see that when he spoke uh, full of the Spirit, that no one could withstand what he said. That whatever he said and he did was so powerful because it was God in him that was working. And friends, that's not just something that's reserved for apostles. That's not just something that's reserved for special people like Stephen. It's not even, it's not even just reserved for, for people who you see um, who might be more active in church. But this fullness of the Spirit is something that every Christian, every one of us um, can receive. And, and, and something that every one of us is, is commanded to continue to be full of. So why would we want to be full of the Spirit? Well... Jesus made it really clear in Acts chapter 1 when he left his disciples and told them that they were to be witnesses for him, that they would be filled with power of the Spirit so that they can go and they can witness. So we can't witness on our own without the power of the Spirit. We can't love other people um, beyond what we're physically capable of doing in a way that that is God-pleasing and comes from God without being filled with the Spirit. We can't have full victory over sin without being filled with the Spirit. We, we can't struggle on our own and have endurance in our hardship and know a hope that is beyond this world without being full of the Spirit. We can't have wisdom to make godly decisions beyond what we might be mentally capable to do without being filled with the Spirit. And without being filled with the Spirit, as we can't as He wills, have a greater experience of spiritual gifts. And friends, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time and you know how hard it is to put to death sin, how hard it is to witness in a powerful and effective way, how hard it is to, to love other people beyond what you're, physic- what you're just physically able to do, then you will know that you need to be filled with the Spirit. And even if you're here this morning and you, you don't know Jesus, you don't follow Jesus, but some of that resonates with you, if that's something that you want, you can have that today. You can have that by trusting in Jesus and asking him to fill you with his spirit. So how do we get filled with the spirit? If we turn across to Acts chapter 7, uh, we see how not to get filled with the spirit. Verse 51, as, as Michael was reading for us. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. So how not to be filled with the Spirit? You don't be stiff-necked. You don't be so set in your ways that you're unable to see what God's doing. The the people that Stephen was speaking to, uh, they were so fixed, they were so proud of of the law, or the law as they had interpreted it, that that they had followed for centuries and centuries. They were so proud of the physical temple that they'd built to worship God, and they were proud of their rituals and their rites that they thought would make them right with God. But in doing so, in being so fixed on on their own ways and in in the own reservations of their heart, they were unable to see that God was bringing salvation through Jesus. They were unable to see how God was fulfilling his own law that he had um, put in the hearts of the Israelites a couple of thousand years ago, I think, to, to fulfill his promises. They couldn't see it. And so they resisted the Holy Spirit. And I think it's really interesting that, uh, that Stephen here says that as your fathers did, so do you. 
that they were resisting the Holy Spirit even before Jesus came, even before we in the Bible get introduced to the Holy Spirit. When they were so fixed in, in, in their rituals and their religion that they couldn't see God himself, they didn't have a, a, a relationship with God himself, they were resisting the Holy Spirit. So if that's how not to be filled with the Spirit, how do we be filled with the Spirit? Well, the Spirit, as we, as we read in John, the Spirit goes wherever He pleases. It's not something that we can bring about on our own, but we can ask. And Luke tells us in, in Luke's Gospel, he says, ask. Um, and as Hill mentions over and over again, ask and keep on asking. But when we ask, sometimes we're like this. Sometimes we're like, God, I'd love to be filled with your Spirit, but don't make me move away from home. Don't send me away from my family. God, I'd love to be filled with your spirit, but don't make me change jobs. Like, I've worked hard to get here. I've spent five years studying and ten years climbing the ranks. God, don't let me lose that. And we're probably not so brazen to say these things aloud, but this is what we do in our hearts. God, I'd love to be filled with your spirit, but just let me do um, let me live in a way that will please my parents. God, I'd love to be filled with your spirit, but don't let me change or let me have to live at a lower standard of living than what I'm living now. And when we do that, we come to God with a closed fist. We come with our lives wrapped tightly around our fingers and we say, fill me with your spirit. God, control me in every area of, of your life to live for your glory, but yet we don't let him. We hold on to whatever it is um, we think so dear, more dear than living for him, and we say, fill me with your spirit. And inevitably, the best that he can do is just use the fringes of our lives, maybe just a little bit here and there. And it's no surprise when we feel empty or we feel longing for perhaps a, a feeling of the Spirit that we once felt before. But friends, this morning, if we will pray, if we will ask, if we will open our fists and say, God, here's my life, my whole life. It's yours. Do, it, do with it as you please and fill me with your spirit. Friends, if we, will, if we do this and we come earnestly before God, we can expect him to move in our life mightily. We can expect him, by his grace, to give us the power to, in, our, in our witness to love others far more than we're able to, that he would provide for us whatever we need, not necessarily whatever we want, and be fully controlled, have every fiber of our body living for him. Ask and keep on asking with an open palm. Second way we can experience fullness of the spirit is by being bold, by stepping out. We see in, in the chapters of Acts that we've read so far, in Acts 2 and Acts 4, when Peter just goes out and he's just like, I'm just going to tell these people what they need to hear. And as he does that, he's full of the Spirit. And he speaks with boldness that he's not able to. He speaks with conviction. And yes, he fires some pretty heavy arrows. And yes, he hurts the heart and, and they walk away bruised. But in Acts chapter 2, when he does that, even though that might not be what he would have wanted to say, 
or what would have been popular to say, people put their hand up and they say, yes, we've done that. But how do we be saved? We step out in boldness. We can expect the Spirit to meet us there as we're doing His will. So pray, ask, and step out in boldness. Which leads us to our, our second point this morning, which is to be that Stephen was full of the gospel. Full of the gospel. Now, by the gospel, we mean the good news of salvation in Jesus. And he was full of the gospel, and that's not something you see uh, written explicitly in the text. But it's pretty clear from what he says in, in the bit that we didn't read, Acts chapter 7, that he was full of it, full of it. He was controlled by the gospel. Well, well, what does that mean practically for him? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for the apostles? Well, first, um, he, lived for, he lived out the gospel. So we've just got this picture up here of a waterfall and this boat that's near the waterfall. Now, someone like Stephen, who's full of the gospel, he's like that waterfall. The gospel is that water rushing through him. And anyone who comes remotely near, like anyone on that boat, will get splashed. Get splashed, they'll get wet. And they might not know where the water comes from. They might not know, they might not, if their vision is not very good, they might not even be able to see that there's a waterfall there. But when they come close to this person who's full of the gospel, they get wet. They experience the gospel lived out. And how, how, where do we see that in our passage? At the start, we see in Acts chapter 6. They're going to widows. They're doing God's work. They realize how much God has loved them in the, in the truth of the gospel. And they're saying, I've been loved by such a great love. I'm going to go out and love other people. We see in, in chapter 6 verse 8 that he, when he's full of grace and power, he's doing great wonders and signs among the people. He's not an isolationist Christian. He's not saying, I'm going, to be, I'm going to sit here and be full of the Spirit and full of the good news of Jesus and keep it to myself. No, he's going out. He's among the people. He's loving on people. He's giving of more than he can give and he's giving by what, what the Spirit can give. They live out the gospel. At PCC, uh, we also endeavor to live out the gospel. Our mission statement, as many of you know, is PCC exists by God's grace, to follow Christ, love his church, and serve our city. Now, by, his, by God's grace means, well, if he sovereignly wills, if, he's, if he sovereignly um, enables us to do these things. But just as much it means because of his grace, because of the grace that each and every one of us has already experienced in coming to Christ, because of the grace that Jesus poured out on the cross for us when he died in our place, died the death that we deserved and conquered sin and conquered death. Because of this grace, we follow Christ. Because of this grace, we love his church. And from the power of this grace, we serve our city. We can live out the gospel just like Stephen did. Now, the second way that he, was, he, he, that he was full of the gospel that we can see is that he shared the gospel. He was ready to share the gospel. Uh, this next verse up here is what Jesus said before he died. And, he, and it says, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you. This is speaking to his disciples and persecute you. 
delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. And here's the kicker, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. As we saw last week, when Peter and the disciples, when they were, when, when they were thrown into jail, when they saw opposition, whether inside the church or outside the church, when people came against them, when perhaps they felt the tide was turning against them, what did they do? They didn't cower. They didn't feel like, oh God, this isn't working. Where are you? No, they remembered Jesus' words. They said, this will be your opportunity to witness. They took every opportunity, whether they were in prison, as we, as, as we see later in Acts, whether they were brought before rulers and kings, or whether they were just among the people. They took every opportunity to spring forth from the fullness of the gospel within them, the good news of Jesus, to tell people around them that Jesus was Lord and tell them the good news of what he'd done. Or to use the metaphor of the waterfall, they were getting people wet. And maybe this is, you're here this morning and been a Christian for a while, but this is, this is confronting. This is hard. Because maybe you feel like you don't have the tools to be able to share the gospel. Or when you do, that your friends ask really tricky questions and you don't know how to answer them. Well, Peter himself will talk about this um, in, his, in his own letter to people who are suffering. And he says this. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And many of us read this and we're scared. Many of us read, uh, read this and we feel unqualified. We feel like to, to defend God, we have to get ready to answer all these tough questions. We have to be uh, an expert in philosophy. We have to be an expert in science. Be able, to re- be able to argue for the historical accuracy of the Bible and, how, and explain how, uh, God and, uh, how God can be good even though such and such and such has happened. And that's difficult. And that's maybe something that, that scares us off from sharing the gospel. And while these are really good lenses for us to, to, to see God's creation, to understand what God's doing, that's not what Peter tells us to do here. Because he doesn't say to make a defense for God's word. He doesn't say make a defense for what God has done. But he says that you should make a defense or give a reason for why you have hope, for why there is hope in you. Friends, I struggle to be able to, 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 to unpack all of the tricky questions that people might ask me or answer all of people's uh, queries about how God didn't show up in their life. And that's hard to do. But if they ask me for why I have hope, they ask me for the reason that hope is in me, oh, I can tell them. We can tell them, can't we? I mean, you could tell them about how God has, has worked time and time again in the miraculous. You could tell them about how God has healed you or your family, how God has saved you um, through difficult times and, and provided in ways you wouldn't expect. You could tell, tell them about how, uh, how, how God has changed your life from what it once was, how God has made you bold, how God has given you peace in the face of uncertainty and peace in the face of of uncertain times. You could tell them all that, but, that's, but, but Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 would tell us that if that's all our hope is, if all our hope is just 
for, for the stuff of this life, then we're still to be pitied. We're still to be pitied. Because this Christian hope that we believe in is, is a hope that far exceeds this life. It's a hope that far exceeds anything tangible. What, what is this hope? What is the reason for the hope that's in us? We sung it this morning, church. We know that hope is never lost for there is still an empty grave. For Jesus is alive. We have hope because Jesus is alive. If someone, if someone wants to know why is it that, that you, you go out of your way to, to love on me even though you, you've got so much going on in your life, if someone wants to know well, why is it that you seem to be living for something different than everyone else, why are you not worried about the current economics um, circumstances, why doesn't this worry you? It's because we have hope. It's because my Savior died to ransom me and he didn't stay dead, but he rose on high and is now seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. Because he is alive, he conquered sin and death, and so I have hope of an eternity with him, an eternity without pain, without suffering, an eternity enjoying the greatness and glory of my God. Oh, that's hope that we can hold on to. That's hope that we can share. Our third that leads us to our, our third fullness this morning, which is that Stephen was full of certainty. Full of certainty. And we talked a little bit about this certain hope that he had, that we can have. But there's a whole bunch more in this passage that we can glean from, that we can hold on to, that helps us to be certain in uncertain times. You know, this passage is something that for some of us, we don't like to read. We don't like to hear about the first time that someone got, other than Jesus, they got killed for the sake of the gospel. We don't like to hear about a young man who was full of talent, full of promise, full of godliness, but yet at what people believe to be only 29 years old, 29, was stoned to death for following God. Maybe that's a a part of the Bible that we don't like to read um, to our young people and to our kids because it's difficult to explain and reason about. And in, in those circumstances, it does feel like Stephen's death was completely tragic. But this morning, I believe that as we come around this, this little bit of scripture at the end, this, this bit where we see Stephen's very last moments and what follows, there's certainty that we can hold on to. So what can we be certain in? Number one, we can be certain that Jesus will walk with us when we suffer and especially when we suffer for the gospel. In, in, when, as, as Stephen unpacks what happened in the Old Testament and how that relates to Jesus, uh, he says about Israel that God saw their affliction. This is 7 verse 34. He saw their affliction and heard their groaning. And, and we see that as Stephen is, is being stoned, that Jesus appears before him. Jesus hasn't let him down. Jesus hasn't forsaken him or left him, even as he's in the final throes of death. Jesus appears to him, walks with him in his suffering. And we can be certain, churches, as we go out, and as we boldly proclaim the gospel, and as perhaps we suffer for the gospel, that Jesus will be walking right with us. We know that he is in us and, he's, and he lives with us by his Holy Spirit. He will not leave us. 
And, and as we suffer, Jesus also gives us the strength to, to forgive others. He says in, in, uh, in chapter 7 that as he, as he dies, Stephen is still thinking about, Lord, forgive these people for what they've done. Much like Jesus died, so did Stephen, dying, praying, God, not save me, but God, save them. We can be certain that Jesus will give us the strength to do that in that time. Number two, we've never run too far away. We've never run too far away that God's grace can't haul us in. We've never run too far away that the Father won't come running out to meet us if we will just turn to him. Where do we, where, where do we well, before we, before we get to the passage for this, I just want a show of hands. Put your hand up if you've ever met or you ever knew someone who you, you never expected would ever come to be a Christian, but they did. Put your hand up if you've known anyone like that. Hands all over. Now, keep your hand up if you were one of those people. If you never thought that you would be a Christian, but yet you are here today. Whole bunch of people. Praise God. Isn't God amazing? But we see here, we meet at the end of chapter 7, a bloke called Saul. And... And, and, and verse, let me find it. Verse 58 says, Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And then chapter 8 says, And Saul approved of his execution. And then he went ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now for the, the early church, this was terrifying. This was perhaps enemy number one. The person who would not only be part of a conspiracy to murder one of their own, but would continue to, to beat people and, and, and drag them out of their homes just because they followed Jesus. And if there was probably anyone that they thought was too far from God's grace, it was this Saul. But yet Saul, who was a terrifying name in Acts chapter 7 and 8, to us today is a name that brings hope. It's a name that brings Hope that no one is too far gone for Jesus. No matter what you do, no matter what I do, no matter how far we might have run or, or have already run away from, from God the Father, no one is beyond his grace. Because this Saul would go on to preach the gospel to the nations. This Saul would have such an encounter with Jesus that his life would never be the same. This Saul would write most of the books in our New Testament whose words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, have brought many to come to know Jesus, have put spur us on today to continue living for him in ways that we would never um, expect because of the power of the Holy Spirit. We're never too far gone for Jesus. And if, if that's you this morning, you feel like you've run away from Jesus. If this morning you feel like you've never really met Jesus, but you would just love to know him, but you feel that there's something stopping you, please don't let that stop you. Because no one is too far away. If, if he could not only save Saul, but use him so powerfully, what more can he do in your life? What more can he do in my life? Number three, Jesus will welcome us into eternal life. We can be certain that he will welcome us into eternal life if we trust in him. We see in, uh, in again, seven verse, uh, sorry, seven verse 56 and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. 
Now, to put into perspective how monumental of a statement this is, not only is he saying that Jesus is alive, not only is he saying that Jesus sits at the right hand of, of God, this Jesus who the people he's speaking to don't want to hear anything about, but he says that he's standing. Now, if you all, if, if you all remember, um, it, throughout the New Testament, we're told that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews says that once he died, once for all, for the sin of everyone, that he rose and sat down at the right hand of God. Now, that position of sitting means that the job was done, that he had, he had conquered sin and death once for all, that nothing else that you do or I do would be required. But why is he standing here? Well, if you think about, if you think about the queen, you think about Queen Elizabeth II, she doesn't really stand for many people. In fact, when she enters a room, everyone sort of has to stand for her. But when she does stand, it's for someone who's, who, who's done great accomplishments, for someone who, who she and her nation can be proud of, or it's for some momentous occasion that demands her to stand. Friends, when Jesus stands for Stephen, he's saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. Well done. And, and church, we can be sure that no matter what our lives look like, if we continue to trust in him and live for him, at the end, Jesus will stand for us. What greater joy, what greater accolade is there to live for than for the King of kings and the Lord of lords to stand for you, inviting you into his rest. Lastly, as the, as the band come up, and we're going to sing in a minute, we can be certain that this gospel is unstoppable. And we've been talking about it. If, you, if you're here today, you've been joining us in the series in Acts. If we're looking about how God, through his Holy Spirit, after Jesus' ascension, has brought about, has, has pushed his gospel into the world. How his gospel has been advancing despite all things that have come against it into the world. Well, how do we know from this passage that the gospel is unstoppable? How do we know that even today, this gospel will not be stopped. Friends, in the start of Acts chapter 8, it says, and, though, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered together throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, if, if that Judea and Samaria phrase rings a little bit of a bell, it's because at the start of Acts chapter 1, we saw that Jesus said that you will receive power from on high, and this gospel you will share will go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And as, as Michael read for us in Acts chapter 8 verse 4, it says that now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So you have this people, this early church, who was gathered together. And because of Stephen's death, because of the persecution, the resistance against the gospel, they were forced to go out. And some of, some of you uh, here, or maybe your parents, might have experienced this a little bit because of whatever happened in your home countries, you've had to come out here. And that's what happened to them. They had to go out. But when they went out, God was using that to bring the gospel to the nations. Or to put it another way, if Stephen had not died, if Stephen had not been persecuted, then the gospel would have stayed in Jerusalem you and I might never have heard this good news. But God, 
in his sovereignty, God in his wisdom, God in everything, even as, as people took up stones to stone Stephen, something that we would have thought was so horrible, the worst thing that could possibly happen to the church at that point in time. God was using it for his glory. God was using it for the sake of the gospel. Friends, that's encouraging to us because as we go about, as we go about sharing the gospel to our friends, even if we, as we mumble and jumble what, what, what words we might say, he's using all of it for his glory. He's using all of it to push his gospel to the nations. As we go through times of hardship, times of suffering, as we don't know why we're, we're going through what we're going through, we can be certain that this gospel of his will not fail. This gospel of his will accomplish the purpose that he set out for it to be. Friends, why don't you join with me in prayer? In a moment, we're going to sing, we're going to worship this King of Kings whose gospel is so precious to us. But and as we're singing and after we're singing, we're going to have a time when you can come out to receive prayer. Maybe this morning you're feeling a bit empty. Maybe you're feeling a bit weary. Or maybe, maybe you feel full of, of God's goodness and full of God's spirit, full of his gospel and full of certainty, but you just want more. It doesn't matter whether you're young, whether you're old. It doesn't matter whether you're in high school or whether you're in retirement. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. If you want more of this fullness, if you want to be full of the spirit, full of the gospel and full of certainty, why don't you come out for prayer? It doesn't matter if your friends want to or not. It doesn't matter if, uh, if it's weird, if you feel like it's weird or, or if you feel like you never come out the front. This morning, if you want to experience this fullness, this fullness of God, would you come out? It's just between you and God. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through the life and death of Stephen, that you are working all things for the sake of your gospel. We're, we thank you that it, from his life, we can learn so much. We can know that we, and be full of certainty that you are accomplishing your purposes through every season and situation. Father, we can be full of your gospel knowing that because of what Jesus has done, we can come to the Father. We can come to you. We've never run too far away. And because Jesus is alive and his spirit lives within us, we can be full of his spirit. Oh, Father, for, for those of us who know you would, you, would you fill us afresh this morning? Would you give us a boldness in our witness? Would you give us just strength and energy to love others? And as a church, to follow Christ, love his church and serve our city. Oh, would you do that this morning, Father God? Not for our glory, not for our fame, but only for your glory and your name. We ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.